creating middle school or groups in the middle school classroom, I guess we'll do the disclaimer. This is what we do. You might do things similar to this. We, I'm hoping we give you a nugget or two of some good new ideas, um, but this is just what we do. So um, just to introduce ourselves, uh, my name is Angie Hedinga. Uh, this is actually my 22nd year of teaching. I have taught in kindergarten and I've taught in middle school. I've taught a variety of different um, <laughs> Yeah, classrooms. Um, and I have uh, three kids in school as well, and I try to get them to read. And then I'm Erin Skipper. This is my sixth year of teaching. Um, my fifth year in a middle school type setting at two different schools. And then, yeah, I have a dog, Cobalt, and I actually have a second dog because my husband brought it home. So. <laughs> <laughs> So how we do book groups. Uh, first, before we even got started with doing this, um, this is our third year doing book groups at Genesee Christian in the Middle School. And um, we, we did do some research. We did do some um, investigating and reading of professional development books in order to um, stretch ourselves and get prepared for this. And we wanted to share just a couple of things or reasons why we would do something like this or why you might implement something like this in the middle school. Um, goes back way to Vygotsky, and we've had all those in our college um, classrooms, but when you talk about that zone of proximal development, what we found, and I love this quote, too frequently middle school learners work in the frustration zone, which causes them, like, and honestly, they can be frustrated either way. It can be, like, super hard for them, and they're super frustrated, or it can be super easy for them, and they're frustrated, and they're not engaged. And um, you know in your middle school classroom, there's a huge variety of kids that we're servicing. So to hit them where they're at and get them excited about reading was one of our biggest goals. And in addition to that, we find that when we work in our book groups, we build excitement, we build engagement because we're excited at the books, but then the students are. So even if a student isn't in that book group, when they have four or five of their peers super excited about a book, well, they're in the library checking that same book out. So it really um, increases that motivation because they don't want to be left out of the book group because if you don't get the pages read, well, you can't get this group. So it really um, increases their motivation and also makes students want to read more. I've noticed a huge increase in student readers mm -hmm. since we've started book groups. Yeah, just in the three years. Mm -hmm. Just more, they're reading more books. Um, and we're getting them more excited about books. Um, another thing that we have used at our school a lot is the Fontes Pinnell reading level. So one thing that we're going to look at when we're looking at books is we're looking at these reading levels and we're varying those levels so that we have, if we have lower readers, we have a book selection in that group where I can put some lower readers um, and then we're also looking at higher readers. So I do have a link on the handout to this actual, I just shrunk it down to a middle school classroom, but I have a link on there, number five, that'll take you right to that PDF, and then you can see all the breakdown and how Fontes Pinnell does it. Uh, we do um, do some leveling, especially more in fifth grade into sixth grade. By the time they get to seventh and eighth grade, we don't do a lot of individualized reading assessments on them because they're reading more for their interest than necessarily for reading levels and most of them are capping out at Y's and Z's and so now we're just looking for can we hit them at their interest level but this is another thing that we do use when we're loving my books. All right so where did we how did we get started with this? So a couple summers ago when we decided okay we're going to create book clubs 
we, um, and honestly, as we talked through this, we're like, okay, I guess sometimes we started this way, sometimes we started that way. Using themes was a big area where we started, so we thought about what are some big themes that we could connect kids with, like the theme of courage or coming of age. And then we started investigating books in that particular theme group. Um, but then sometimes we found like, oh, I'm only finding three really good ones, but now I've found five and I found this different theme. So you're gonna come at it at different angles, but in the end, we really felt like we tried to have some kind of theme or connection within the books, even though they're at different reading levels. Um, one source we used a ton of, oh, back to, so include different levels. When you read them too, you have to think about boy and girl interest. You have like, you don't wanna have all girl books or all boy books, making sure to vary that and vary it within your reading levels too. Make sure to have a higher level reading for boys. Um, there are lower, there's, you can find lots of lower ones, but you still have boys that need to be challenged too. So I, I always find myself thinking about those things too. Um, the biggest source that we use was booksource.com. And anyone familiar with that site? A few of you are. Uh, it is a really phenomenal site. I would use it or suggest using it just to show you a little bit how it works. Um, when you go in the site, you can actually, you can search for a theme within the levels. We'll see how well our Wi-Fi works here. Peek over here. Just to show you, if I go into an advanced search here, And let's say I just want to look for books on courage. So I can just type in a theme there. And as I go down, I can actually put in my guided reading levels. So let's say I want to have them span from a level S to a level W. Um, I'm kind of thinking maybe fifth graders, fifth, sixth graders at this point. Then I'm going to search. And as I search, it's going to give me a list of books that they consider under courage. Now, that's going to be pretty broad, but it's also going to give you the levels. So as you see, as I scroll down, here's all your reading levels here. So you can start to vary what you've picked. Um, and then you can click on them. Sometimes these all have teacher resources with them, um, which shows you they're pretty quality books. A lot of those titles are familiar, I'm sure, to you. And then we just started investigating, okay, which ones had some common ties? Um, but that one to me was a huge resource. We'll go back to our. And you can also <coughs> search by like topic. So if you're looking for like a historical fiction, yeah, you can go through and every book that comes up will be historical fiction. If you wanted to go that route with a theme rather than like a theme of courage or perseverance or something like that. I would say we spent we spent months putting this together. It wasn't just a like oh let's just quick whip out some books. Um, we spent months scouring sites. Not only did we look at Bookstore, um, but some other um, Goodreads does. I mean, that doesn't give me quite the quality of the reading levels, but it does link books together, and you can find books by theme. We definitely use that as source. I even use Amazon at times to show you books that link together. Common Sense Media was a huge one if we didn't have time to necessarily read the whole book. This is an awesome site where if you read the, if you put the title of the book in, it will tell you like the violence content, the sexual content, uh, the language content, and you can click on it and it will show you, it'll actually specifically tell you like, 
a girl kiss a boy three times. Like, it'll give you that information. Or they so. use this swear word yeah. this many times. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of go through and be like, okay, is this something I'll consider? And they give it a star rating. But I would recommend, like, looking through the reading because maybe your definition and their definition, yeah. like, all of a sudden it's like sexual content. And you're like, they've kissed a boy three times. Okay, I guess, like, and there's yeah. stars associated yeah. as well. So that's very and You can't find all books, but it is a, it is a helpful resource when you're quick trying to find, okay, is this appropriate for a fifth grader or an eighth grader or not? So those are all the sources that we used. All right. So we thought we would give you just a brief rundown of all the books we selected. That's not to say that you should pick the same books we did, but just giving you an idea of what we looked at. And kind of like Angie said, it took us months to figure this out and to be honest with you. We're still going through and reworking and tweaking and changing because there are book groups up here that it's like, oh, the elementary decided they actually would like it for their level library, so now we're going as a middle school. All right, we've got to replace it. Um, so we do Wonder in fifth grade, and um, wonderful story. I know many of you are familiar with it. It's really applicable to fifth grade students, and... The issues of bullying, coming of age, and friendship are so interwoven throughout that students really appreciate this book as well. And then we jump into book groups. So we start with the whole class novel, teaching some strategies that we'll get into later. And then we get into Courage. And all of these books are historical fiction for the most part. Um, but each one is um, focused with a character that is going through some hardship. Um, Dash is focused on Vietnam War. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind is a book set in Africa. Zane and the Hurricane, Hurricane kind of says it all, it's Katrina. Kizian Stamps is a book set um, during civil rights. And then Bud Not Buddy, another um, very familiar book to you. But each one, and again, you'll notice, we've got girl main characters, we've got boy main characters, and different interests across the board. And then we do a fantasy. This one we decided not to pick a theme, but rather go with a big topic. And fantasy is something that is really popular right now. Um, so all of these have strong characters and are dealing with different realms of fantasy. And you'll notice that last one, we're looking for a fifth title because Crenshaw is being pulled into our elementary. And so we're looking for something new. Now Crenshaw works because it's for younger readers. But we're trying to vary again as and, well. And knowing that, like, okay, so elementary, fourth grade is going to use it as a reading book for theirs. We'll hold on to a few copies. And if I have a fifth grade bunch that I have some lower readers that didn't read it in fourth grade, we can read it in fifth grade. So it is okay that it, it floats back and forth just a little bit. But we want to beef it up a little bit and have a few more choices. Then sixth grade, we start with Flying Solo. Um, Flying Solo, if you're not familiar with it, is a story of a sixth grade class who's supposed to have a substitute, and the substitute never shows. So rather than tell the office, they decide to run the class themselves. So you can understand why sixth graders love this book. I can't tell you how many times I've been told, Mrs. Skipper, you shouldn't come to class tomorrow. <laughs> and if I want to keep my job, guys, i got to see. And one reason I do this book, not only does it relate well to students, but it has a list on page 46 in the book of all the different things that stories have, like unique characters and 
um, changes in an instant, and having to make moral decisions. It's all in this list of all stories have. Well, we track those things as a class throughout the entire novel, which works really well as I go in to do small book groups. Well, now they've practiced the skills. So when I track character development, they've practiced it within this novel. Then we celebrate differences. Um, all of these books have a character that struggles in some way or another and, and maybe doesn't fit within our societal norms, whether they have autism or Asperger's or, um, and out of my mind, she is cognitively aware but physically unable to move or do anything, and she's very frustrated because people treat her like she's stupid. Again, um, we're moving rules back to our fourth grade level, and so we're kind of adjusting how we do it and always being flexible. Um, sixth grade, we also do Wednesday Wars. This is an opportunity for me to talk Vietnam War, a little historical fiction. I get to introduce um, informational reading as well with this unit. And then I also get to introduce some poetry because there's a lot of Shakespeare references throughout the book. So it helps me get my standards that way. And then we do mysteries. And something I love about the mysteries is it pulls kids in and it gives them a wide range of books that they've done. And each of them has their own story. And so other than the fact that they are mysteries, they don't have a lot in common. Then we do seventh grade. We do the Watsons go to Birmingham, um, civil rights. And again, we look at the nonfiction piece of it. Um, one thing I incorporate quite often in my book groups is Scope magazines. Um, they have a lot of nonfiction. They also have um, fan, like different stories within them, and they're all kind of linked together. And so like this one I've done with it because it deals with civil rights, but not African-American, but Hispanics. Then we do perseverance. Um, something I've learned is that books have to be similar lengths because otherwise you have that one student that's like, I'm going to pick that one because it's the shortest, Mrs. Skipper. Okay, so what I try to do to combat that is if you're familiar with A Long Walk to Water or Child Soldier, they're both very short. And so students in that book club read them both. So I give two books where the other groups are reading um, longer. And then I also implement like nonfiction with that as well. And then Friendship. Each one of these books is different. Again, um, deals overall with the theme of friendship, varies in levels, and that strong theme is <coughs> the novels. And then last, we do family. And each one of these books, the family structure is not typical. Of your, when you think of a family, they're not that way. And so I really challenge students to think about, well, what does fam if you had to define family by this book, what would the definition be? And so that's how we work through as well. And it's wide range of levels again. Um, book just poetry and verse. And so it just gives students options. Eighth grade. I start the year, um, I do a conformity versus individuality. Uh, I teach the giver. Uh, honestly, the biggest reason why I teach this is number one, kids love it. And they get hooked into reading after you read that. Um, and then I teach a lot of my core strategies that I want them to be working on throughout book groups in this. So I refer back to the giver my entire year 
I might model an essay and then I model after this because everybody read that book. So now you have a common place to talk with them. And then I'm not giving them answers to the books that they are reading. They have to think by themselves, but we can connect it to the book. So that's the biggest reason why we'd like to do a whole class novel somewhere. Um, The next group I do is um, all on courage. And I brought these to sample them just so that you can see All of these are actually novels in verse. I intentionally picked all novels in verse, and they all have to do with refugee situations. So every single one of them has some kind of displaced person. For the most part, if you look, they have about the same size. But for instance, like this is my shortest one. It's my hardest one in the, the series. This is my longest one. It's the easiest one in the series. So it balances each other out quite a bit. Um, I like to do these next, especially with eighth graders. I'm trying to build motivation in reading, and they read them fast. I can do this one easily in a month because these are all novels in verse. They read really fast, Um, but they're really thought-provoking. We have some great discussions with these books. Uh, The next book group I do is, um, my theme is resilience and tragedy. So each of these characters have some kind of Something, something tragic that's happened in their life, and um, they have to figure out how to work through that. Um, a lot of varying levels. Trouble is a pretty um, hefty book, um, but challenging for eighth graders. Um, Gary Schmidt's always a great author. Um, the Running Dream has more of a high school character, but it is a little bit easier reading level, so you can hook their interest in it because of just the content, but it is a little bit easier. Um, so that's that series. And then the last one I end on a World War II historical fiction. And t- actually, they're not all historical fiction because this is nonfiction right here. Um, and I do have a book that I don't have up here that I pair with Devil's Arithmetic that has some nonfiction pieces in it as well. Um, but they all deal with some aspect of World War II, and that's how we end. Um, and these, are, these tend to be just a little bit higher as we end the year in levels. So that's what we do in eighth grade. Any questions on how we choose books? All right, let's keep rolling. We got a lot to do. So, all right. So now we've we spent the summer finding all of these books. Now, how do we go about um, implementing them in the classroom? So the first thing we do is we give the kids a student selection sheet. We gave you a blank one in your packet. Um, You're welcome to use it, fill around with it, do whatever you want with it. Um, This is what I typically do. I like to have the actual cover of the novel on the sheet so they can see what it looks like. The only disclaimer is, though, and I told Aaron I've been playing around with this. I'm playing around with not putting this cover because this cover makes it look like it's a fifth grade book, and it's not. And it doesn't. I cannot sell this book to my kids. And I would say the biggest thing as far as book talks go is you have got to sell these books. And so we work really hard at talking about the books, building excitement about the books. We oftentimes show book trailers because that visual interest will capture them. And so they have to fill out this sheet. When they do it, they rank them 
after we do the book talk, they have to rank them one to four, their favorite and their least favorite, based on what we've said. And I tell them they've got to take notes on what I'm saying so that they can refer back to that. The biggest thing that we talk to them about is this reason for the top choice. And I tell kids, I've had kids say, my reason is because this sounds like such an action-packed novel. And I know it's not. And so when I read that, I think, okay, I can't go with their top choice. They're going to be very disappointed. I need to look at something else. And sometimes I might even go and talk to them privately and say, okay, what'd you like about this book? What'd you like about that book? So that I can think to myself, okay, what's going to be the best fit for them? So this is a really important component to the selection sheet. And we also took the time just to show you a student one of what a student filled out for us. So this was from my seventh grade and I picked three. I didn't end up doing fever this year just because it is such a high level and I didn't have any one that would uh, I felt fell into that level. So I chose just three and it was a smaller class. Um, so as you'll notice, if a student's read it, they just mark red in the box. And sometimes if they've read them all, then we'll go back through and say, well, how long ago did you read it? Mm-hmm. I've had kids reread in book clubs. Yeah. And so then you'll notice once again, why was um, the student interested? Well, he's interested in refugees, tell stories. He really liked the book we did in fifth grade, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, so a story based in Africa. And you'll notice I tell my students they have to be specific with us because if I can't tell from their reason why, I probably, like, I'm a little more apt to go with my students that have specific reasons to begin with in that top choice because if so, I've had students that write, why did you select your first choice? Well, it sounded interesting to me. Sounds cool. Yeah, well, that's... Well, I think they're all great, so that doesn't help me a whole lot. And so the more specific they can be, the better we are able to put them into book groups. The other thing I do, because every now and again you have a book that everyone picks as number one, so now how on earth do you select who gets their first choice? <coughs> I make a tally mark by each student as I go throughout the year, like, oh, they got their first choice this time. They got their third choice. And then I typically tell those students, and I'll pull them and say, I know you got your third choice this year, or for this group, but when we do another one, I'll make sure you get your first or second. Or if they've gotten their third and second, well, the last book group, I'll make sure they get their first. Just to kind of keep it balanced and fair. Mm-hmm. Did you have a question? I do, actually. Um, the information about each book, is that from what you gave them, or do you like yes. the back cover, or what do they? What we tell them about the What book. we tell them. So like our book talks and how we engage them. And what they might glean from. So here's an example. We'll show you, like, this is something that I show to my kids in my classroom. So I might talk a little bit about the book. I show them the title. And then I will put this up. <coughs> Just to sh- and you can find these for almost any book because kids make them. My kids actually make them. Oh, I don't have sound. Sorry, technical. You'll just have to watch it. But they watch, so I'll show these to the kids in my classroom too. And honestly, that can really hook a kid when they see it visually. So I would encourage, I do as many book trailers as I can with books because I feel like that makes it come more alive than what I can do. And actually, I do a book trailer project with my kids at the end of this unit. And so then they've started to see them a little bit. One thing... 
I would always make sure to preview book trailers, especially if they aren't made by a company, just because students make spelling errors, or worse yet, they give away the ending. Yeah. So that so just make sure you go through and like. And this is them. a student a student made one that I found that I thought was okay. In fact, I'm trying to think if this was one of my students actually. It might. I think we've repeated, right? Yeah. All right. So. Okay. So that's how we, and I guess to say too, like you talked about a little bit, I, I always tell my kids that I have three things that I look at when I'm considering the, well, I guess that's the next slide here. I'm looking at, is this level going to be appropriate for you? Is it something you're interested in? So I am going to look at your choice. But if you choose number one and it's super hard, it's, it's not going to be a number one for you for very long because it's going to be too hard. And I do have to look at the group dynamic. You have to look at who you're putting together. So I take all those books, selection sheets, and I lay them out, and I start to pile them up. You look at the names, and you see, okay, who we put with who? Is this going to work or is this not going to work? Um, and go from there. Yeah. And sometimes and sometimes what I'll do is if I've got a group dynamic that I'm going, this ought to be interesting, I might allow these students, like, all right, guys, I'm going to give you a shot, and this is your one chance at this, and if you can't handle it in the week that we do this, you're either getting put in a new group or you're going to read this book. Like, I kind of work, and I don't like them to read by themselves because it ruins everything, but, I mean, I have had on occasion a student that isn't handling the group dynamic well, and so then, yeah. They spend some time either reading with me or with one of um, my pair of pros in my classroom on occasion as well. And they'll, they sometimes will fight you on it. Or like I had a book uh, last year that Resilience and Tragedy, The Running Dream, it's a girl main character in high school. I put one of my lower reader boys in it because it's a high level interest. He was the only boy in it. At first he's like, are you kidding me? He loved the book. Like it was one of his favorites. And the girls really helped push him along a little bit. So it was a great fit for him. So if you look at those dynamics you can really play around with that and you can convince them to doing a lot of talking with them about why you thought that'd be the perfect book for them no buy into it <laughs> usually um one thing we do also is you're probably kind of starting to wonder well how on earth, earth do you guys track all of this or how do you know who's going to read what when so we there's a couple different strategies we use this is just one um Sometimes we'll let students um, dictate how many pages they read, and then the dates that are listed here are when we meet with those groups. So they agree kind of within their group, like, okay, guys, by December 1, after two weeks of reading, we're going to be on page 60. And so I know that they'll turn in a sheet to me, and then I make sure I've read up to page 60 so we can discuss it as a whole class. Now... Sometimes this works really well, and sometimes you get that math kid that goes, all right, well, I got, I don't know. 300 pages divided by four, here we go. Here we go, yeah. (laughs) I got four dates divided by four, and that's how we're going to do this. Well, as a result, they chunk the book really weird. So sometimes it's more helpful, especially in the younger grades. I go through and I give them a schedule myself of, like, I've broken the book down into sections where, yep, this is a good place to stop, and this is a good place to stop, and this one ends on a cliffhanger, so that way they'll want to keep reading tomorrow. Mm -hmm. 
So then this, we gave you a blank sample of what we would do. On the next slide, it shows you an example of like, this is one that I actually filled out. So you're going to meet with your group five times. These are the pages that you need to be at when you meet with that group. And I dictate it to the group. So depending on, it really kind of depends on the year, your class, how good they are at doing those things or not. Um, I'll be honest with you, I probably have leaned more towards doing this than giving them freedom just because I feel like it actually does, it works better in the long run because I'm hitting natural divides. Um, but it really is completely your choice what you want to do. And it's easier for me because last year I taught three sections of language arts, which meant on occasion I was teaching 12 books at the same time. So then when students are deciding and you have multiple classes, all yeah. of a sudden class A decides we're going to be at 60 and class B decides we're going to be at 75 and now I have to track all of that in my like yeah. on something. So for me it was much easier to say these are the pages so that way I'm prepared for the day and don't I get confused. Choose your sanity too. Like. <sighs> Um, another really important thing to remember, we always send home a parent note before we before we actually have or put the kids into groups. And I always have that, and I have a sample in your packet too, but just to let the parents know, these are what the books are about, about just in case you have a parent, like, uh, especially when we get eighth grade and maybe it's a heavier topic, nope, I don't want my kid reading that book. And I don't really have that happen, but it's better to be proactive and just let them know, these are the topics that we're covering, please let me know if you're uncomfortable about any of these books, and we'll make sure that they're not in that group. And then this is just another sample that I'll send home. Like sometimes, because I can email it to parents, I send pictures of the book covers. Um, be careful how early you send this, because I've done it on a Friday afternoon, and by Monday morning, all my students already know what all the books were doing, so my book talk is not as effective. So sometimes you got to find yeah, the balance. Yeah, there's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. Letting parents know, but also letting your students know. All right, that's how we place them. Now, what do we, anyone have questions thus far? Okay, so now you've got the kids in the books, you've got your group set, they've got their reading schedule. Now, what do they do for the next month? Um, that's where it gets tricky in a lot of management. I don't remember what the, so the, um, I, I get a little like anal about things, so I love to create a calendar too, but I usually give my kids this at the beginning of the year. I don't think I gave you a sample of this one, but I track out, and so I will have on the sheet like this group is meeting then, this group is meeting then. And if you're not meeting that day, then you're doing, you are either reading independently or working on uh, every week. Like this one I had every week, like one week I really focus on characterization. So I do many lessons on characterization. They were doing activities on their own, thinking about the characters in their book. And then when it was their day to meet, then they're going to bring that information that they have been working on to their group and discuss that together. Um, you can see on this calendar too, on certain days I still do whole class things because we're still integrating nonfiction reading too. We'll talk about that a little bit later, um, but we are integrating that too. So I really find that reading calendar helpful for them. Honestly, for me, it's like a huge advantage just to know like it takes a lot of pre-planning to get all that done, but once you have it set, it just runs so much And one thing I do 
because I've taught fifth and sixth. So I tweak this just slightly because when you hand a fifth or a sixth grader a month of the entire calendar, especially your kids who don't love to read, and they're going, I have to read 200 pages this week, and they just panic. So that's in. What I'll do is I'll give weekly, like Monday through Friday, these are our reading pages. This is what we are doing. This is when your discussion is this week. So I do it a week or two weeks at a time. And I find for them it's, it's a little less overwhelming. But with my seventh graders, I give them a full-on schedule because they can handle it at that And they're used to it because they've done it the two years before. Um, uh, do you want to make sure that I've got some readers that just would, would take the book home and read the whole book? Yeah. yeah. What do you do with that one? Because I think that... I mean, there's a benefit to that, of course. They love it and they can't stop. But mm-hmm. another part is is they get so far ahead of the group that they may know something now because they've gone... Yeah, that's, that's a good question. To be honest with you, I really discourage them from okay. doing that. Just because mm-hmm. some of these kids, and I feel like I'm teaching middle schoolers a lot, like they think because they can read books fast, they're an awesome reader. And that is not necessarily the case. Like I want them to go a lot deeper with their book than going fast with their book. And so I will explain that to them. For this in class, we really want to think deeply about this. So I want you to, once you read it, Think about what you read. Think about what the author's doing. And then if you really need to read, then get your independent reading books going. Because they still have independent reading as well going on. Um, So that's what I tell my kids. And I find, like, since we've been doing it now for three years, like, the first year that was an issue. Like, kids would read ahead or all of a sudden, now I don't have that problem as much. Occasionally, I'll have a student say to me, oh, man, I read, like, five pages too far if they're smaller chapters. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're kind of bummed at themselves. And I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. The other thing I'll do, especially with some of my students that have that, just, like, they're more inclined to do that, I'll intentionally have them put a sticky note where they have to stop so that way they can't, it's like the actual physical reminder for them. A lot of my kids do that. They, the, when you do those participation guides at, the, guides at the beginning, I hand out sticky notes, and they just sticky note each little spot. They, and they'll put the date on the sticky note so they know when they need to get at that point. The other thing is, it is a super big bummer to come to the group and because they're like, well, I don't know where I left off, so I don't want to give it away. It just makes discussion hard. Mm-hmm. And kids don't like that feeling because no. the whole reason we do groups is so they can engage in conversation and be excited together. And so they don't like to ruin the book for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so what we do, and I, I'm telling you, this is like throwing out. For one unit, I do things like this, and it kind of depends on the unit, the kids, what I still need to cover as far as standards go. But if I had to like lump sum really how we go about each week, a lot of times we'll focus on a literary skill that we really want them to be working on, whether it's point of view, characterization, theme, things like that. And so our mini lessons, so I might start my class with like a 10, 15 minute lesson on a way to track characters or how do we think about theme? And so it's reminding them what theme is. And then how, and we talk about like when characters make big decisions that sometimes can tell us the theme or when like a change in the plot happens. And those are all part of standards too. So we talk about those things and then I'm sending them off their books and they're looking for those in their particular books. 
Um, along with that, we also do a lot with comprehension strategies. So that strategies that work workbook, we did that as a book study. Our entire staff did that. So we are that is something that they're hearing from elementary all the way up. And so we're just reinforcing those skills again in middle school. But we continue to talk about those comprehension strategies, having kids track some of those things, keeping sticky notes in their book so that when they they can go to their their group and okay what what questioning things let's discuss what you questioned this week um, so those are lessons we do um, another thing we do and I talked about this earlier is we try to embed nonfiction as well into our so like my my unit on refugees then I will find refugee articles that we can all read together and that can connect with their stories that they're reading um, so we have a common piece to talk about, and then we go back. A, like a really awesome resource is commonlit.org. If you don't know it, go to it. Um, this one is awesome because you can even go in, and it'll talk about, like, I can look for literary devices. I can look for a book. And, like, when I teach The Giver, they have articles all with The Giver. So, like, we read an article about North Korea and connected it to The Giver and that society. Um, so some great thinking. Uh, they need to read more nonfiction because they are not good nonfiction readers. So anytime that you can integrate that in, and that's where us choosing themes, I think, is helpful to find nonfiction along those themes to embed in the lessons as well. Right. And Angie kind of mentioned this, but yeah, there's nonfiction on Common Lit. There is poetry. There are folk, and they all connect mm -hmm. to novels or a theme, and they're all leveled out for you. Like this is a seventh grade, this is a fifth grade, this is yeah. a sixth grade piece, which is awesome. And if it connects with the novel, so it's one of the books, it'll literally say at the bottom, "Use this after students have read chapter four." Yeah, yeah. and connect to what they just read. And so it's a really helpful tool because they've done all the legwork of figuring out exactly where it connects mm -hmm. in for you. And so it's really helpful. It, it you is. Do you have in Spanish, too, off the top of your head? Or not? I can't. I'm just looking at that, too. I can't. I don't see it. But. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you're looking on. I know I can link here. Of course, internet is slower. Than it says Espanol on the bottom of it. Okay, good. Okay, I'll let you guys explore <laughs> it. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's Thanks. slash the S. I can leave that up if you're still. Everyone got, I don't know if I wrote that resource down on my handout. I think we threw that in there, so write it down. You won't I know, it is a really helpful source. Um, just kind of what a daily, I've referred to this a little bit, but what a daily schedule looks like. We do a mini lesson where we teach a concept or skill. You want them to be working and reading. And then your reading groups go off. And I don't, they don't meet every day. I don't have kids meet together every day. Uh, I have that set date that they need to have that target page read by, and then they meet together. But then when it's not their meeting day, they might be reading. 
quietly reading. They might be working on something we did in a mini lesson as they read or sticky note or get some reflections ready for tomorrow's meeting with my group. And then I, as a teacher, am either going around meeting with groups because I've read to those pages too. And so then I'm trying to spark conversation because this is middle school and <laughs> we're working at it. But sometimes you got to be there to really spark them. But this also gives you the chance to, I can go around and individually confer with some kids too and see how it's going one-on-one -on -one with them. So it frees you up a little bit too, depending on the day and the needs and the students, things like that. And one thing I do as well is like I have students because they are, they love their book group so much and I'll say, okay, you don't have to read in your group today. And they'll say, but we want to, would that be okay? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. As long as that's not necessarily a group. And I might then confer with that group. And then I say, well, and then like half the group does and half the group doesn't. And that is fine with me. The only thing I do kind of require is sometimes I'll have the same novel in two groups. So like I had two groups of refugee going at the same time. I don't allow them to mix because I divided them for a certain reason. Yeah. And so I don't necessarily want them picking to be with their friends because then we're probably not reading, we're probably socializing. Yeah. yeah. How do you motivate the kids who struggle to keep up? You know, to be honest with you, I rarely, even with my lower readers, like last year, I had a boy who was a lower reader. Now, a lot of times we're communicating with parents a lot, like what the schedule is and what their reading needs to. So at the very least, they've gotten their reading done. Um, they might not contribute as much to the group as maybe some of the other kids are doing. Um, but just the fact that... And I don't know if the assessments motivate them too, but they're motivated enough to know, like, I need to know this stuff by the end, so I've got to read this book. So I, I, shy, I don't have a ton of trouble motivating them because they got to choose their book and they got to be with their friends, and those are their natural motivators. And then not to mention, like, if they haven't caught up, and it usually takes one time to say, oh, yeah. you haven't caught up, you can't sit with your group mm -hmm. with me today, and you... <clears throat> It depends on the student, but I'll say they've got to either read it by themselves, or I'll just say you need to read it with me, oh. and I'll sit and make them read it with me, and then you have to have a conversation with me just like I had with the group, and for most middle schoolers, that's terrifying enough, yeah. and so yeah. they don't want that to happen. Um, yeah, I forget about that, because I sometimes have them do that too, like if they didn't read the, reach the page quota that day. And I said, well, then you can't meet with your group. You need to sit, and tomorrow you can come chat with me about that. And that is such a bummer to them do that. because they want to hear what everyone else is saying, and they want to be a part of it, which is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you know they're not lying? You know what? At, at this point, well, I know. And at this point, you just have to, I guess by eighth grade, I'm kind of like, well, I'm hoping they're getting the gist and the osmosis from some of the kids. There, there are assessments at the end, and okay. it's really tough to get through that if you haven't read the book. Okay. And so then, we'll talk about that at the end, too. Yeah, I was gonna say, and the other thing I'll occasionally do is if I, if I have a suspicion, I'll give a reading quiz on like, yeah. the day. Like, so, because I break it down small enough chunks that they have to read 15 pages. Well, I'll make sure I read those 15 pages and... Guess who gets a pop quiz? And then yeah. it's real, or I'll meet with a group and just, if I don't want a paper, I'll just meet with a group and ask like three questions and have them write them on sticky notes. Okay. And I just walk around and it's like, I've got a real good 
um, feeling at that point if you've read it or you don't. And if they're going to tell me they did, I'm going to say, well, maybe we need to go back and reread. Because I have a couple of students that they read it, but they don't comprehend it. Yeah. And so then I kind of go and say, so then, again, they'll meet with me, or I'll make sure that we find time. Yeah. Group size. I see you have six slots. Is that what your normal group sizes are? Uh, six would be the most. I would say I try to keep it four. Okay. I've even had three in a group before. Yeah. I would say I usually... I, I try not to go over five, I would yeah. say. And it's got to be the right five. So once you get to six, I oftentimes break it into two smaller groups. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, use Google Forms for quick quizzes too. Like sometimes before my mini lesson, I'll do I'll do four quizzes for the four books because I've read them all. Do like a five point quiz for each one of them. They all have to log in their computer quick, and so you're getting random from all four books. But then you can do a real quick check to see. Mm -hmm. Are they at all? And, and sometimes I make them just super obvious questions just to see. Can we address the motivating thing? Yeah. My son was in Angie's <laughs> class last year and he hates to read. I mean, absolutely hates it. It's the worst thing in the world. And I'm the English teacher. It hurts me that he doesn't like to read. But he would come home and be like, I have to read till this page. Like, he was so self motivated because he's. Because he wants to be in his group. He wants to be in his group. It's a mm -hmm. very self motivating thing for even for kids that hate reading. Mm -hmm. So it's a really great thing. It, 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 I know. I've, I found it to be a really good self-motivator. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever, if you really had a child who was struggling with focusing, could they read it with a partner? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I would yep. think that would help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay, and then let's talk a little about assessing. Um, here you got four books, and now you got to assess, and you've got these. So, and we're assessing based on things that we have talked about. So, for like for this one, you can see, and this is more an eighth grade assessment. I do this a lot in eighth grade. So, I just finished The Giver last week, Friday. They took their test, and that's a whole class novel, but I still do it the same way where, okay, characterization, just a super broad question. I need you to cite evidence for me of two ways is that Jonas changed throughout the reading and then cite evidence in the essay. Um, you can do that. So then in characterization here, I'll say, in your book, how did the main character change throughout the story? Describe and provide any text evidence as you. And so you can make it broad to whatever book that you get. You just need to know your books when you're grading them. So you can see for this one, I hit characterization. Still comprehension strategies. A lot of times I'll just ask the question, tell me a comprehension strategy you used and give me evidence how you used it. So then they'll give me like, they'll do an excerpt where they thought the author did such a great job of describing a scene where they could visualize it. And they'll tell me, well, that helped remind me of when I went on a trip sledding and I could remember that too. Okay, good. Then actually they're connecting too. Um, but this one I did in conflict and theme. But just make them super broad. Uh, that's one way I assess. I do um, for my perseverance one at the beginning, I do a multi-genre project. And it kind of hits the idea that writing is much broader than just the three strands we typically think of when we think of writing a narrative and information on persuasive. And my goal with this is to have them extend from the book. So one of our books focuses on Joseph, who is a Jew, while they might do a report for me on the Holocaust. Um, someone else might decide to create a board game and write all the rules, all the instruction cards, all the pieces. And so they're all doing different forms of writing, but it all somehow has to connect back to their novel. And then I also make them 
think about why they chose the pieces they did and explain to me those connections. So they give me like um, three quarters of a page typed as well of like, this is why I picked to do a book trailer. This is why I picked to do a news report. This is why I picked to do this. And they all report back in. Um, one thing I did this year that I learned from, because the first year I did it, I just gave them a list and told them they had to pick six projects. Well, you know, middle schoolers, what ones can I do the least amount of work for? So this year I changed it and made it a point system. So like your posters or like a birthday card and things like that were all worth one point, and they had to give me 12 points worth of work. I didn't care how you got there, but you had to give me 12. And so then the, some students said, I'm going to do four three-point projects. And other kids are sitting there doing, I'm going to do. And then I did add that they had to do at least a one-pointer, a two-pointer, or a three-pointer. So they have to do at least one medium-sized piece. So they can't just give me lists and things like that. Another fun one that I've done is I have kids create their own book trailers. I actually do it with this um, book group just because the novels in verse go so quick. And we talk a little bit more about figurative language and mood and how the author creates a mood through all of that. And so when they create book trailers, then one thing I assess is, like, did your music create a mood similar to the story? And then they also have to speak to, like, talk about the book. So they have to create a summary of the book that gets into a speaking standard so that and they don't, they don't necessarily have to do it uh, in front of everyone, but they do it on the computer. I've used Movie Maker in the past. Um, I'm kind of exploring Flipgrid and seeing if I can do something like that with it. Um, but that's a fun way to integrate technology. Um, and they still, that gives me a really good handle on whether they understood the book or not, if they can give me a brief summary and tell me just the mood that it created. So that's another idea you can use. And that's... Oh, Questions. Questions. <laughs> yeah. How how long do the book talk discussions last? Um, it depends on how many I'm doing. It depends on my class. You do you mean when they meet as a group? Oh, when they, when they meet as a group? When I talk. That's a good question. It kind of depends on the day, how much they've read. I would say they can't, they probably are 15 to 20 and then they're done and then they head back to, I, don't you think? Like, and I would say with younger grades, it's probably even shorter because, I mean, a fifth grader isn't going to discuss for 20 minutes. Do, do they have a guide, like focus, focus discussion points? Um, we don't necessarily do like like, it's not like they each have their own job that they come, but, like, I might say to them a week before, like, hey, I need you to make three connections through the text to your own life and come ready to discuss those connections with the group. Mm -hmm. Or it might be more of a book-related task in which it's characterization. Can you show me how your character has changed over the last 100 pages and what events shape those changes? Come ready to discuss that some things I didn't include in this either because we didn't really know where to start or stop on this is I do sometimes I'll give them a sheet like when they're prepared for the group and I've had them like maybe working on a guide and they have to answer a few questions and then maybe before their groups meet I have them like think about three things and then they're ready to come to their group with it and then when they're done I'll have them self-evaluate their group and evaluate their peers so and then they hand that in and if I notice 
this a trend? Like, I'll have them rate, like, you know, three, two, one. How do you feel that you participated today? Did you stay on task? Uh, how do you feel your, your group members, did they stay on task? And then if I start to see trends of, okay, this one person is doing nothing in their group, then I have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with them. So we do do things like that, too. Yeah. How do you fit in grammar and writing and spelling? Um, those are in our writing. I do grammar with my writing unit. So we don't we don't read all. Yeah. We do reading. Like I just finished a reading unit on the giver. Now I've switched to writing in eighth grade, and okay. that's writing and grammar. So then I flip back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It looks like you filled the whole year well. No, no, we okay. still do writing too. Yeah. So we're the moving. Books, the books we read, we give them class time, but they still might have homework mm -hmm. on pages that they have to read at home as well. Yeah. You don't so want to stretch, and you don't want to stretch these too long. Because no. my first year did it, I, I actually, I felt like I gave them too much time, and I got feedback from kids it was too long because it, it took too long to finish the story, especially yeah. with these these novels in verse. I probably finished them in like three to four weeks. Just boom, we can okay. just get them out. Because otherwise, they forget what's in the yeah. beginning. And I think even with my novels, I just started to start, I think it was about four to five weeks. Yeah. And so it was a very, it's compacted, like, we work hard on our reading, but then, yeah, we moved on to, like, the multi-genre, and that's when I incorporate spelling. Like, when I do writing, I do spelling. When we okay. do reading, I do vocabulary work. And so that's how <coughs> did I get but it is a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The woes of the language arts teacher. Yeah. Any other questions? Otherwise, it looks like we're eight minutes before two, and you can go if you need to, or feel free to talk to us. But thanks yeah. for coming. And don't hesitate to send us an email. Yeah, email us if you have other questions.